Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God for our special meditation this morning is the last three verses of today's gospel, Mark 1, verses 9 through 11. Dear chosen, strengthened, cleansed, baptized children of God. Do you remember? Do you remember the baptism of your Lord Jesus? You might say, of course, we, we just read about it, and this is hardly the first time. But just as being familiar with something is not the same as remembering everything about it, being familiar with the account of Christ's baptism is not the same as remembering everything about it, let alone understanding and applying everything about it. So let's see what we do and do not remember about our Lord's baptism. We'll start with the event itself, but there's a lot more to the story than just those facts. You might even be surprised by what was not in your memory and should have been. Now all four Gospels tell us something about John baptizing Jesus and what happened then, but not that much. None give us all the details we might want. What they do tell us is straightforward. Jesus leaves Nazareth and goes to John at the Jordan River to be baptized, along with all the others who were coming for the same purpose. But Matthew tells us John is surprised to see Jesus. How well the two knew each other, we can only guess. Their mothers were relatives, but Elizabeth was a lot older than Mary, and we can't assume that the families visited a lot. But John knew enough about his, who his cousin was to suggest things were turned around. He said, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? Jesus assured him that they should proceed. Let it be so now, because it is proper for us to fulfill all righteousness. And they did. We're, we're given no details about the rite that John used, what words were spoken, how much water was used, and so on. We're simply told that John baptized Jesus, and then Jesus came up out of the water. And right away, some amazing things happened. The heavens were torn open. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus bodily like a dove and remained on him. And God the Father spoke from heaven. You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And the next thing the Gospels record after that is Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. Now, do you remember the why? What brought Jesus to the Jordan to be baptized? 
To understand that, we have to back up a lot and remember some truths about him that are, that are easy to lose sight of and, or forget entirely. We celebrated Advent and Christmas just last month and Epiphany last week, so we probably don't need to review the great and mighty wonder of Jesus' conception and birth, that the Son of God was made flesh, one of us, to be our Savior. What we don't remember often enough, undoubtedly because the Bible tells us very little about his childhood, is that the little baby Jesus had to grow up, which included learning things. It is both easy and common to think that Jesus always knew that he was the world's Savior and the Son of God and what lay ahead of him. But do you remember that when he took on human flesh, he humbled himself and set aside the full and regular use of his divine power and knowledge? The all-powerful, all-knowing, only begotten Son of God came to us as one of us and lived and got strong and gained knowledge the same way we do. Because it was necessary for his mission that he face the same struggles and deal with the same temptations as every other human being. We tend not to appreciate that enough. So I invite you to imagine a scene when Jesus was 10 or 13, or, or, or 16. It is the Sabbath, and he is, as always, in the synagogue. And he is listening intensely, as always, to the scriptures as they are read, which on this occasion include the words of our first lesson today. And now imagine him connecting the dots so to speak, as he hears, you are my servant, and I will make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And he realizes, hey, that's me Isaiah is talking about. Now we can only guess when it first happened. But at some point as he grew up, Jesus would have come to understand that all of the Old Testament's prophecies and promises of a Savior were about him. And now imagine what it would be like as a child, as a teenager, even as a young adult, to know what lay ahead of him because of that. Not the glory of being crowned Israel's king, which was what just about everyone expected of the Messiah, but rejection by his people. And even more, the suffering, shame, and death that would be required for his saving all people from their sins. That knowledge and responsibility would not have been fun 
or easy to carry in his heart and in his mind. Even though he was perfect, Jesus was human, like you and me, and still learning about himself and the world. And probably the only people he might have been able to talk to about it were were Mary and Joseph, but they could not have helped him bear that burden. The strength and encouragement that could help him most when things got real would have to come from somewhere else. Maybe from the same thing that gives other humans, us, strength and encouragement. Now how Jesus knew when he was about 30 years old that it was finally time for him to begin his ministry, we are not told, nor are we told why then. It's possible the Holy Spirit gave him some kind of nudge or or maybe his omniscience just kind of poked through a bit. But still, as a student of the Scriptures, Jesus would have understood that John the Baptist's appearance in the wilderness, preaching repentance and baptizing, was preparing the way for the Messiah's, for his own coming which meant that soon it would be his time to make himself known to his people. But before he did anything else, he would begin with baptism. It was more than simply something he had to do as the Christ, more than a necessary first step in his ministry, and more than merely a way to identify with sinners. He didn't just go through the motions of being baptized. The fully human Jesus went to John at the Jordan because baptism would benefit him as both man and Messiah for his ministry and his mission. He had no sins to repent and be cleansed of, but but that fact didn't rob baptism of its power or blessings. And what happened right as he was coming up out of the water makes it clear that Jesus was powerfully blessed. You remember, heaven was torn open to momentarily bridge the gap between there and earth. And the Holy Spirit made himself visible, even more than that, physical, in order to rest and remain on Jesus and and do what the Holy Spirit does. Strengthen faith. Give knowledge and wisdom and, and guide one's steps. And this special gift of the Spirit would certainly strengthen Jesus for the fulfilling all righteousness which Jesus had just mentioned to John. And you remember the Father's voice from heaven. He claimed Jesus as his own, said he loved him, and said he was well pleased with him before Jesus had even begun to do what he had been called to do. And imagine how helpful the memory of the Father's words would be during the next 40 days in the wilderness with Satan tempting him, but also throughout his ministry and and in his passion. Any temptation to doubt could be powerfully met with this certainty. 
I am God's son. He said so at my baptism. Now, as far as we are told, only Jesus and John heard or saw any of this. But these words and events still became the basis for the grown-up Christ's revelation to the world. He didn't start preaching in that moment, but six or so weeks later, when Jesus passed through again after his time in the wilderness, the Baptist testified publicly to what had happened and what he had seen. And he told all who would listen who it was who now stood and walked among them. It was the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the long-promised Savior, the Lord, God with us, our brother in flesh. And remembering that He was baptized assures us that what was good for Him will also be good for us. But that raises another question. Do you remember your baptism? I would imagine that most people here today have no memories of being baptized. It happened when you were an infant or, or a very small child. But whether you were old enough to notice and retain what was going on or not, there is still a lot for you to remember about your baptism. But I can tell you the story. One day, a squalling, miserable, willful, rebellious soul was brought to the water. Outwardly, you might have been quiet or even happy, but inside was a sinful nature that wanted only to serve itself and had no interest in forgiveness, deliverance, or any kind of life with God. And then the pastor poured water on your head and spoke the Word of God. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this gracious washing of rebirth and renewal changed you from sinner to saint, from willful to willing, from Satan's slave to God's own child, from hell-bound and hopeless to heaven-bound heir of eternal life. The Father claimed you as His own. The Spirit gave you faith and strengthened it. And Christ's saving work was applied to you, cleansing you of all your sins. And the angels in heaven rejoiced that another lost soul had been brought home. Yet just as the story of Christ's baptism didn't really start with his arrival at the Jordan River, the story of your baptism doesn't really start with your arrival at the font. What brought you to the water and the Word was not your worthiness, not your wisdom, not your decision, not even the wise decisions of your parents. What brought you was your need. 
because you, like everyone else, started life off in a bad situation. You had something it wasn't good to have, and you were lacking something it was bad not to have. What you had was the filth of sin and its guilt. From the moment you came to be in your mother's womb, you had original sin. What we all inherit from our first father, Adam, because of the curse that came when he and Eve chose evil instead of love in the Garden of Eden. And ever since you left the womb, you have added sin and guilt of your own. It's what sinful people do, infants as well as adults. The toddler cries or screams to get its way. The old grump gripes or shouts with the same selfish purpose. Though you claim that you love the whole world, loving people is something different. You curse strangers who inconvenience you. You hurt your brother or sister with jokes that only you laugh at. You look with contempt at your spouse when you decide his or her words or actions are foolish. We roll our eyes when our parents or others with authority tell us to do the thing we've been told to do 20 times. We claim finders keepers when we, except when we're the losers. We decide that the one thing that will make our life good is a thing or person we don't have. We take pleasure in perversities. And we smile at the thought of someone we don't like being hurt or dying. That is the kind of filth that by nature sinners like us fill our hearts and lives with. It's not abstract, it's real and specific. And it is so, so far from the holiness God created us for. And it disqualifies us from paradise because He cannot abide any rebellion, offense, or imperfection in His presence. We need a solution to that situation. And in baptism, God gives it to us. Our reading earlier from Romans 6 showed how baptism connects us to Christ's death and resurrection to save us from our sins. And the power of His cross-suffered, blood-bought salvation comes to us in the water and the Word. We are washed clean, not just physically, but spiritually. Our lovelessness is forgiven. Our selfishness is pardoned. Our lies and lusts and little disobediences as well as our frauds, robberies, and rebellions are erased. In baptism, God cleanses us of the filth of our sins and we are made pure and perfect. For Christ's sake, the holiness we lacked is given to us freely and along with it are blessings in abundance, eternal life in heaven, the power and freedom to do actual good, new hearts and new minds, membership in the Holy Christian Church. We know for sure that our place in the Father's family is, is unshakable 
And when facing our own trials or temptations, we can say, as Jesus could, I am God's child. He said so at my baptism. And all of this makes a difference. And so your sinful nature, the world and Satan himself want you to forget it. <laughs> but you remember it. As Luther explained it in the Catechism, baptism means that the old Adam in us should be drowned by daily contrition and repentance, that all its evil deeds and desires be put to death. It also means that a new person should daily arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. And then he points us to the words of Romans 6. We were buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Remember. You know, there, there are a lot of things that aren't worth remembering. Things that really don't have much value. Ad jingles, sports trivia, old phone numbers. There are even things that should be forgotten. Grudges, foul language, bad habits. But these things, the truths and comforts of Christ's baptism and your baptism, have real powerful, eternal value. They are vital to Christian faith and life. They are worth remembering because they are more than just facts. Baptism is gospel. The word that saves and strengthens joined to the water. A precious means of grace, a, a sacrament that has cleansed you of your sins and will continue to renew, console, encourage, and embolden you in your life of faith until you join Jesus in heaven. Do you remember? Of course you do. You are God's own child. You gladly say it. I am baptized into Christ. Remember, amen.